Let's pray for a second, folks. Father God, we pray that you would come uh, and speak to us this evening as we come to consider a, a theme that runs deep uh, and, and often uh, through the pages of your word. We pray that you would impress it on our hearts. Teach us those things that you need us to know. Amen. Tonight we're coming to the end of a series that's been running throughout the, the summer months here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. So if you're joining with us uh, for a, a one-off visit, I, I hope uh, the evening will stand uh, alone in a way that God can, can use in your own life. We're coming to the end of a series of studies in John Stott's book, The Radical Disciple. It's the last book. Uh, I think I've heard before maybe that it was the last book from John Stott, but who knows, maybe this one will be uh, the last book. He's 88 years old now, uh, so there won't be too many more. So far in our series, we've thought about seven marks of the radical disciple that this modern church father has chosen to draw to our attention. Nonconformity, Christ-likeness, maturity, creation care, simplicity, balance, and then dependence last week we looked at. So this evening, we come to the eighth and final characteristic of the radical disciple. Death is what he chooses uh, to focus our attention on. In the introduction to his chapter, Stott explains his choice of subject matter. He says, Christianity offers life, eternal life, life to the full, but it makes it plain that the road to life is death. Life through death is one of the profoundest paradoxes of the Christian life. I said last week that I was grateful to John Stott for the subject matter of chapter 7 when he chose to talk about dependence because it's not something that I would have thought of. And yet when I saw him articulate uh, and talk us through some of the biblical vision of a life depending on God and each other, I was immensely grateful to him. Well, well, tonight's a little bit like that again. A little bit different this time. It's not that I would never think of, of death in the way that it's just something I don't choose to dwell on very much. And, and most of us are probably the same. Death isn't a subject we generally like to visit and to dwell on more than we absolutely must. All the more reason then to be grateful to God's servant for bringing this to us, and all the more reason to pay attention, I think, to what God's Word will teach us on the subject this evening. Before he takes us on a guided tour of six different areas where the Bible speaks of life through death, Stott reminds us that the radical biblical perspective is to see death not as the termination of life, but as the gateway to life. And the Bible sets before us the glory of life in all its fullness, but then insists that the way to this life, this full, full life, is through death. The Bible promises life through death and life on no other terms. So Paul describes Christian people in Romans 6 as those who have been brought from death to life. 
sometimes we're inclined when we start to listen to a sermon or an address to say, yeah, I, I know this stuff, I agree with it, this is, this is how I think. Folks, this is not how we think. This is not how our world thinks. This is not where our world goes looking for life. We don't go to look for life through death. It's not the story our culture tells us about ourselves. So as I was preparing and reading this material and and preparing to share it with you, I was very struck that this is very counter-cultural. So I just wanted to raise that flag for you this evening. Let's look very briefly at six areas in the New Testament where we're shown a reality that life comes through death. The first area, uh, and perhaps the most obvious, is in our salvation. I think our opening hymn this evening is one of the brilliant uh, statements of how life comes through death in our salvation. In Romans 6, we're told that God's gift is eternal life. In the fifth chapter of his first letter, John explains that those who have the Son have life. So salvation is often described in terms of life. To have what Jesus offers us is to have life. And often we think that the most distinctive thing about the life that Jesus offers us is that it's eternal. It's talked about as eternal life. So we tend to think of eternal in terms of, of quantity, in terms of the length of our life. But over the years, something that I've begun to be much more open to is that this life's eternal in terms of its quality, not just its quantity. It would be a terrible thing, actually, to be offered eternal life if the life that you're living is miserable or even mediocre. What would be wonderful is to be offered a life that's eternal in its quality and its quantity. One that, that, that's wonderful, but also everlasting. Jesus talked about what kind of a life this is he offers. Verse seven, sorry, chapter 17 of John's Gospel. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is what eternal life is. It's not something simply that lasts forever. It, it's knowing God. It's being in a friendship, in a relationship with God. But this life, Jesus tells us, the only way in which we can enter into this life is through death. The Bible teaches that we have sinned and that the wages of our sin is death. Sin and death are always coming together. They're coupled uh, as an offense And it's just penalty. Sin and death go hand in hand. And folks, if we were to pay the penalty for our sin, that would be the end of us. That would be eternal death for us. But that's that's the gospel, isn't it? Jesus comes. He dies our death. He takes our sin. He dies our death. But even then, The reality of Jesus' death cannot be any benefit to us unless we we enter into it, unless we, we receive its benefits. So we must become united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And that's the New Testament image. The New Testament tells us that Jesus died and rose again, but that we must go with him. 
We must identify with him. We do it inwardly by faith and outwardly in our baptism. We count ourselves dead to sin, Paul says, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first area in which death is the gateway to life is in our salvation. This second principle of death through life operates in our discipleship. So Jesus uses some pretty vivid imagery when he talks about our our discipleship, our, our life with Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus talks about taking up your cross. And we have done very weird things with that. We have talked about, you know, having bad health or, or something, something in your life that's not great. We talk about that. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking to a group of people who'd grown up under Roman occupation. They'd regularly seen men walk the streets carrying the crossbar of a Roman crucifix. And as soon as they saw a man carrying that cross, they knew that for that man, his life would soon end in execution. So when Jesus talks about taking up your cross, that's what he's talking about. Jesus is saying something like this. If you're following me, then there's only one place where we're going together. And that's to death. Bonhoeffer, in the life, uh, the cost of discipleship, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. According to Luke, Luke's record of of some things Jesus said. Jesus wants us to make this a daily habit, this dying to ourselves, this taking up our cross. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's a daily thing. And it's not an optional thing. Elsewhere in Luke's gospel, Jesus says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Tell me this, brothers and sisters. Do we still imagine that Jesus Christ can be comfortably accommodated in our already comfortable lives? Is he still like a lifestyle choice? Is Jesus for us the equivalent of having a particular hobby or signing up at a particular gym? If so, we dare not call ourselves disciples. He wants us dead. Dead to that way of life that he might breathe an entirely new life into us. 
Death is the way to life in Christian discipleship. There's a third area that Stott brings to our attention where, where this life through death principle operates, and it's in mission. Suffering is an indispensable part of mission, but it's often overlooked, especially nowadays. The, the mission trip has changed a wee bit over the years. 200 years ago, 150 years ago, you went on a coffin boat knowing that you weren't coming back. Now you go on a mission with your tag-along week's holiday at the end of it, booked in. Jesus knew that his mission would require suffering. In John chapter 12, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was about to be enthroned on a cross. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is talking now about his mission, and again he says that that life comes only through death. Only through his death will the gospel, will the gospel go and be extended into the, the Gentile world. Death is the way to fruitfulness to life. Death is the door to life. Nobody seemed to understand this principle better than, than Paul. So whenever he's writing to the believers in Corinth about his ministry among them, he says something quite staggering. He says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He seems to be saying that that other people are going to live through his death. Now, now that's the kind of language we'd only want to reserve for for Jesus, for his his death on the cross. So, what's Paul saying? Has he lost the plot? No, he hasn't. Does he mean what he's saying here? Well, yes, he does entirely. It's not that Paul's suffering can can win salvation for us. Only Jesus can do that. But Paul's point's this. People receive life when the gospel's preached to them. And preaching the gospel faithfully takes someone to die a death. In Paul's case, that was very literally the case. Paul suffered an awful lot for the ministry that God had given him. The big point of contention for him in his world was that he went into predominantly Jewish communities and he told them that Gentile dogs could be part of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It cost him a life of of persecution, of abuse, of hatred. He, He literally died a living death that he might share the gospel and see people won for Jesus. He was ready to die and and finally did die because he was a gospel sharing man.
What a message for us at this point in our journey at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I'm sure you'll have noticed we're, we're trying to learn, have been for some time now, of what it is to be an outward-facing church, to be focused on the mission of sharing Christ with, with the world and our community. Here we see that it's, it's death that's the way to life in mission. And I was trying to wonder, well, well how's that going to be for us? How is it that we're going to be called to die to self? Maybe it'll be our reputations in polite, middle-class East Belfast. They're always preaching at you down there. They're always wanting people saved. Maybe God's going to ask us to die to ourselves in terms of time and effort. Maybe we're going to discover that the nights that we spend on the sofa watching TV don't do much in the kingdom. That it's going to be a different way if God's going to use us to reach people for Jesus. Folks, I don't know. But the biblical principle is that in mission, life comes through some sort of death. The fourth area in which death is the way to life is in physical persecution. And again, Paul is a brilliant and outstanding example. Few Christians have suffered the way Paul uh, did. He was flogged, stoned, imprisoned, lynched, and shipwrecked. Uh, The brutal treatment that he received uh, allowed him to describe his life almost as a, a living death. He said, I die every day in Corinthians 15. Don't ever imagine that the kind of experience that that Paul, uh, the early Christians, the early Christian martyrs, don't, don't ever imagine that their experience is a thing of the past. In his book, Their Blood Cries Out, Dr. Paul Marshall of the Institute of Christian Studies in Toronto, he talks about the worldwide tragedy of modern Christians dying for their faith. He reckons that about 200 million Christians worldwide live in daily fear of the secret police under state repression. There are more than 60 countries worldwide where Christians are being harassed, abused, imprisoned, tortured, executed. And yet, says Marshall, despite their persecution, Christianity is growing rapidly in the world. Folks, you know this principle. We've seen it in the the church in China Persecution often ends up being the place of growth and new life. Closely linked to persecution, the fifth place where Stott asks us to think about life through death is that of martyrdom. He tells a a couple of, of stories. Tells of the death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know how much you know of his story. He was imprisoned in the end uh, because of his, his willingness to stand up and actively oppose Hitler in his Third Reich. 
He was imprisoned in Flossenburg concentration camp. And then on Sunday, the 8th of April, 1945, he led a short worship service. And almost as soon as he'd finished his last prayer, the door opened. Two men dressed in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Everybody in the the small gathering there knew what those words, come with us, meant. Execution. Certain death. This is the end, Bonhoeffer said. For me, the beginning of life. This is the end, the beginning of life. Stott tells another story of a less well-known Christian leader, Dr. Joseph Ton, a Romanian, under the oppressive Ceausescu regime. In one of his published sermons, he, he told the story of how the authorities were threatening to kill him. And he responded by saying this, Sir, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. So far we've thought here this evening about five areas in which death is the way to life. We've seen salvation, discipleship, mission, persecution, and martyrdom. And the fifth and final aspect of death that we want to think about briefly just now is the death of our physical body. John Stott is 88 years old, and he wants us to consider with him briefly our own mortality. He says, reflecting on death and seeking to prepare for it, I've constantly returned to what one might call Paul's philosophy of life and death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is game. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. In one word, the meaning of life for Paul was Christ. He couldn't imagine life without Jesus. And for that reason, it was was factually correct and totally logical that he would want to die because to die would give him more of his, Lord's ambi- of his ambition of his life to be with his Lord. When I read that verse now, I'm reminded of my mom, who died just about four and a half years ago, aged 69. Mom spoke quite a lot through her life. I remember even when, when she was a lot younger and I was a lot younger, that she would speak quite openly about the fact that she would die one day. And she kept talking about, you know, the three score years and ten in the Bible, as if, as if God had decided that on your 70th birthday, things just come to an end. She, she had a habit of taking the Bible very literally, even the, the poetic parts. But I remember being with her when she was getting weaker, and near the time of her death, and she was talking so freely about wanting to be with Jesus. If I'm honest, I was frustrated 
I didn't want her to go. I didn't want her to have her heart set so much. But she's right. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever age I am, whatever age you are. When this life comes to an end, everything beyond will be better and better and better. Folks, if you enjoy worshipping, if you're ever encouraged by worshipping in a gathering like this or a conference down in the waterfront hall, it's not, I don't even think it's a great foretaste of what lies ahead. Everyone who's ever known and loved the Lord will all be there together. If God's ever encouraged you through the preaching of his word by, by sinful, ignorant people, what will it be like to, to see it all and to understand it all and to see truth finally? If you love a sunset over the sea now, if you love a, a, a good evening in the company of close friends, take them just as a hint, just as a, a vague shadow of what's to come. Paul talked about how to be with the Lord would be better by far Folks, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We've looked this evening at six areas where there's this paradoxical principle. Life, we're told, comes through death. In salvation, in discipleship, in mission, in persecution, in martyrdom, and in mortality. Folks, death's unnatural. It's unpleasant. In, in one sense, it's the, the final undefeated enemy. Death is the end. That, that's true. And yet... In every situation, death can be the door to life. If we want to live, then we must die. And if we're willing to die, we'll only ever be willing to die when we see the glories of the life that God calls us to. Folks, this is the radical Christian perspective. We're Jesus people. We're not people who cling to life on this earth the same way as those who have no hope. If that's what's in my heart and if that's what's in yours, we must examine ourselves. We need to pay attention to the kind of thing that we've been thinking about here this evening. Because we believe one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Folks, with Jesus' death, is not the end. With Jesus' death is the beginning. Death. The doorway to life.
for those who will enter into it following Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, when we consider a subject like this one, we realize how much our hearts, our emotional worlds are still shaped by the same influences as anyone else around us who doesn't know you. Lord, we pray that we would allow the gospel to transform us entirely. That we would allow it to go to the deepest and dearest places in our lives. That your grace would do its work there. That as we see the mercy that you've shown us, we'd open our lives to you and trust you. Lord, help us to trust you with our lives. Help us to die a death to all that we feel we must still cling on to. Help us to to give them up, to relinquish them, to go to our death. Because we want to live. Because we want nothing to to block the, the, the presence and the flowing of your Spirit through our lives. We want nothing to reduce our access to you and the life that you give us. Lord, show us where we must die so that more of your life can come to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.